Hello and welcome to the Age Space podcast that gives you ideas, inspiration and thoughts on anything to do with elderly care. I'm Annabelle James and I founded agespace.org, which is a one-stop online resource for anyone anxious about or caring for elderly relatives. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about money and funding care, and I'm joined again today by Jason Butler, our resident finance guru, and this time we're going to be going under the bonnet of NHS Continuing Care. How are you, Jason? I'm fine and uh, excited to talk about NHS Continuing Care. I bet. I'm (laughs) riveted. (laughs) I mean, it is one of those subjects that brings kind of fear into everybody's heart I think doesn't it when one gets older we're worried aren't we about are we going to be looked after have we got enough money and also can we leave a legacy because for some people that's really important and if you spend four or five years needing 30 or 40,000 pounds a year of care then that can wipe out any legacy that perhaps you were thinking of leaving or a large part of it so the, the fear is genuine but the vast majority of people don't need long-term care for very long periods of time. Mm. There was a small number of people who do need care for a, you know four or five years plus. So, some dementia uh, uh, individuals going on for 14, 15, 16 years. Mm. So it does happen. So the, the fear is genuine. Okay, so when someone needs care, what situation do they need to be in to sort of access care through the NHS? Well, it's worth taking a step back and thinking about, you know, your obligations and who pays for just general care. If you if you need general help around the home and your mobility issues and so on, then you are expected to to meet your own care costs, whether that's in your home or whether that's um, in a residential home. And unless you've got a certain amount of savings below your savings are below a certain amount, which varies depending on where you are in the country, but roughly about £23,000, a bit more in Wells, uh, depending on the setting, then you are expected to pay for all of that care yourself. Now, you may well be able to get some state benefits separately to that, and we'll cover that in another podcast, but you are expected to pay for all that. Uh, You don't have to take into account your home when it comes if you're living in it, or if your partner's living in it and you've moved into a residential home. But essentially you are expected to pay for it all. The exception is that if you have a medical condition and you have a nursing need, then the NHS will normally make a contribution to the nursing components, about 150, 160 pounds a week. If you've got very complex needs and your primary need is all to do with your clinical needs, your medical needs, not just, you know, you can't get about or you need some assistance, then there is a thing called NHS continuing care, which means that the NHS pays for all of your care in any setting. As I understand it, it's quite hard to access and quite hard. I mean, there's a national framework that every local NHS has to sort of comply with in terms of assessing people's needs. But it seems to be like sort of healthcare bingo a little bit, unless you you know, cover all a particular number of bases. Yeah, you've got to sort of have both great-grandparents alive and stand on one toe and be able to tap your tummy and all that. Yeah, I get that. My father-in-law last year uh, did need care, went into a care home because we just couldn't care for him at home. And uh, initially he started to self-fund. So this is typically what happens. Someone has an acute episode in hospital, they have an immediate need dealt with, then they are discharged. And in his case, for seven weeks, I couldn't get anyone to come and do the assessment. So in order to get NHS care, you have to have an assessment done. And it's one of two types of assessments. You either have what's called the the fast track checklist, which is done when you've got very bad health issues and they will expedite it normally within a seven to 10 days. 
or you go through the normal checklist assessment where you have to get a, a, a medical practitioner, it could be your GP, health visitor, it could be a district nurse, and they can actually fill out the, the checklist to work out if you may well qualify for it. So there's two scenarios, very quick, which is the fast track. And presumably that's really when, as I understand it, your health, health is declining yes, really rapidly. Yes, yes, and you have multiple health issues. Yeah. Or you go through the normal assessment, that takes longer. And what happens is when you've done, someone has done the checklist, all that says is that you might, on the face of it, have the grounds to have a proper assessment. And that is what when they bring in two to four different health professionals to come in and assess your uh, situation to see if your primary need is healthcare. Okay, Just because you've got Parkinson's or cancer doesn't mean that your primary need is healthcare. If the healthcare professionals between them, the th two or three or four of them, agree that your primary need is healthcare and there's a big long sort of assessment process, then you will get care funding. But the care funding's not forever. It's normally no. assessed after the first 12 weeks and then normally every, at least every year, if not earlier, depending on the, the health authority. So you've got nothing to lose, okay, by having someone do an assessment. What you've got to do is keep on and on and on until you get someone to do the healthcare assessment. But just because it's difficult to get doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And there's a great organisation called Beacon, which I think we're going to give the website for. Um, they provide lots of free advice. They were a, a revelation for me. They didn't charge me anything for the general advice. But if you need help battling to get the funding, and you do have to battle a bit um, and present things in a certain way and, and question if there's a judgment made, Beacon will actually, for modest fees, uh, and you know, even if it costs four or five or six hundred pounds, and they are a charity, if it saves your relative 30, 40, 50,000 pounds a year of mm. care fees, then it was money well spent. Even if you spent 1,000 pounds fighting and there is an appeals process as well. But it is a postcode lottery. But just because mm. it's difficult doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Even if you can't get NHS continuing care, you may well get the nursing component payment if your relative needs care that has a nursing component, whether that's in a residential setting or in their own home. And that's not to be sniffed at, you know, £160 a week or if it's £158 a week. And do the two run in parallel? If you arrive at your GP door and say, we think we can apply for NHS continuing care, is he as likely to say, well, you could start off with nursing care? My sense from all of this funding is that it all operates quite separately. Everyone has a legal right to have a care assessment by the local authority. Okay, and you have a legal right to that, and that's free. And that is when a social worker comes in and assesses, you know, what help do you need? What is your care need? What are your care needs? Um, and that can be in addition to or ancillary to someone who's having their uh, a health assessment for continuing care. But your GP should be should be your advocate in this. Should be there to help and guide you. And if they're not if they're not being helpful. Um, then you've just got to you know, stand your ground and, and say, you know, you're expecting some help on this. But it's well worth pursuing the NHS continuing care. So if you're lucky enough to get NHS continuing care, how much choice do you get over, for example, a care home or care provider? Well, first of all, it will obviously vary according to different health authorities about their procedure on this. But my understanding is that if you're already in the home, and you've chosen the home and then you've won, you've been paying for it out of your own resources or your relatives resources and you then get the continuing care then the NHS has to take over the full cost of that there is no topping up there's no I mean you actually if you want to buy them flowers and a few bits and bobs but you can't top up 
the cost of the home because there is no top up allowed under if it's NHS continuing care. I'm not sure what the procedure is, is if there was a home that was £100,000 a year and, you know, you had pedicures every day and so on. I'm not aware that there's any kind of limit. I think there's probably a decency threshold, but it's not like with local authority funded care that there's a maximum they're prepared to pay if you've got no money and if you can't pay and you can't find a home that you like that's good enough and tough, you know. So it's not the same as when local authorities have an upper limit. Generally speaking... If you're already in a home of your choice and it's charging the normal market rate and you qualify for full continuing NHS care, they will take over all the costs. Now, my neighbour, she's just taken over her aunt's finances and what have you, and she's getting continuing care. She's also getting loads of letters from uh, the local authority and the state to just suspending all her other payments and saying that she's going to have to appeal. And so she's now in a right panic that she's going to lose lots of other benefits. But... I guess that's inevitable, is it? NHS continuing care trumps everything else, does it? Yeah, I mean, if you've got attendance allowance and any other housing benefits and that, that all stops. And and, and you have to um, tell, there's a, there's a time limit normally of about uh, 12 weeks, I think it is, three months, in which you have to have told um, the Department for Work and Pensions or the benefit agency that you have to tell them you're getting continuing care and you have to pay back any overpayment um, okay. after that period. So in my father-in-law's case, I was one week over and I had to pay back, I think it was £90. But that's fair enough. You know, mm. what do you want? You know, three or £400 a month in benefits or £4,000 of care mm. fees paid for. Mm. You can't have it both ways. They won't penalise you if it's if it's, there's a reasonable situation going on. In, you know, you're grappling with helping your friend or relative. Uh, they're not going to penalise you. They didn't charge me a penal. You know, I was dealing with lots of things at the time and I'm very organised and I went one week over and they were very reasonable you're not alone you aren't the first person that's ever done this you know you will uh, approach it in a positive way it is a difficult time but do you know what um, the person that you're advocating for or looking after has probably contributed much into society and this is what they're worth this is not you're not getting something you know you know this unreasonable this is about dignity in our older years so uh, you know um, be be positive and, and, and check out Beacon's website because they're absolutely excellent. Definitely. And I think the, one of the key things for me was actually it's self-funders who quite often don't get any of this funding because they, go, they don't think they're entitled to an assessment and they don't necessarily think they're entitled to claiming money. And they short circuit everything and they make them, you know, they put themselves in a care home or whatever they do and they make their own arrangements and they miss out on all of this stuff. How do we sort of encourage yeah. people to be... And 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 we were covering this in another um, uh, podcast, aren't we, um, about uh, talking about things in the family. The other issue is if the person who needs the care is no longer willing or able or got the wherewithal to deal with their own affairs, then it's the family members who are perhaps dealing with it who aren't aware that the person may be entitled to continuing care and and just the fact that the person's got the money to fund it doesn't necessarily mean it's still it's it's not right for them to claim and 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 they should claim because NHS continuing care is not means tested we hope that that has given you some insights into NHS continuing care thank you so much for listening to the age space podcast please do rate and review us and you can listen to more podcasts on a whole range of subjects mental capacity benefits legal system so please check them out <laughs>